0: Would you turn in the scriptures, please, to Isaiah chapter 62? Isaiah chapter 62, and we'll read read the first five verses. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet, till her righteousness. Shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God, No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Let's pray. Father, as we turn now to your word, we pray that you would speak into each of our hearts and lives, reminding us of who we are in Christ Jesus. So may your blessing Rest upon us as we meditate now in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over these past couple of weeks that I've been with you, we've been looking at the metaphors of the church right at the beginning of the new year, thinking about who we are, what the church is, realizing that how the world views the church is very different from how God views the church and how. We understand the church. And we started off by thinking of the church as a building, uh, the building of God, and recognized that God was bringing together this building, and uh, He was constructing it throughout all of time and in every place. And we saw that we are the living stones who form that building. It's a building made up of people. Ordinary people just like you and me, but we are part of that building that God is establishing within the world. And then the last time we looked at the church as the body picture that we find in the New Testament, the church as the body of Christ. And uh, we recognize that individually we're all part of that body. Individually God has gifted us in different ways so that as we're all interconnected with one another and united in Jesus Christ, so the body grows up and matures and develops and is strong and accomplishes all the purposes that Jesus has for it. John Cleland guessed the third one. And said at the door, Is the next one the bride? (laughs) I was toying whether I was going to go that way or go another way, but I decided since John mentioned it, we'll do it. It's the bride of Christ that we're thinking of today. And uh, there are a lot of changes in life, uh, and really, uh, marriage is one of these things that is under scrutiny within our society. There have been a huge number of changes uh, all around the issue of marriage and social partnerships and, and all the rest of it. But still, marriage is remarkably popular. Don't let the world persuade you that it's done and dusted and it's over and it's gone. It's not. It's very popular still for people to come together and be united together in, in marriage. <clears throat> That's a couple that in our church in Inverness that I married when I was pastor up there. And people just love to see a marriage. And uh, they love to be there at the service even, even although they're not guests. They like to come to be observers and, uh, and to see folks who are, are getting married. And uh, I know <coughs> Hamilton Church, which is our ch- home church, um, down, down at the bottom of the, the rise, the church is at the top of the rise, and down at the bottom where the, the, the road goes past, often when there's a wedding, folks will just stand and watch what's going on up the top as the bride and the groom come out and all the rest of it. Uh, it's still creates quite a bit of uh, attention and interest. One of the ways that God describes His relationship with His people is through that picture of marriage, the bridegroom and the bride, the husband and the wife. Isaiah 62.5 tells us, God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Later on in Jeremiah 2.2 and in Jeremiah 3.20, God describes this marriage relationship that he has with people as a broken relationship. He said, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me, but you have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. The Old Testament established by God with his people was like a love story that went sour, a marriage that was broken by Israel's unfaithfulness. The new covenant which God establishes with people through Jesus Christ is like a love story that gets back on track and comes out right in the end. A relationship that has been rescued from disaster and destruction by a sacrifice at tremendous cost. As far as the love story between God and man is concerned, God is simply the party who refuses to give up. It's not us who are faithful and holding on to God. It is God who is faithful and is holding on to us. 1 John 4, 9-10 reminds us, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we may have eternal life through Him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish, and you know the application of that parable that the bridegroom is in fact the Lord Jesus Christ, and the bride is the church. It is those who are His chosen people uh, who have been drawn together by His love. So, and then in Ephesians 5, you'll remember Paul talks about the love that Jesus has for the church and says husbands need to love their wives in the same way that Christ, the bridegroom, loved the church, the bride. So, this picture of bridegroom and bride... Uh, and the church being the bride of Christ is well-rooted in God's Word. And that description speaks to us of the bride's loveliness. What do people look for in a bride? The world's taken up with images of superficial and external beauty. Supermodels have become the standard of beauty to aspire to. Some women are willing to submit to the scalpel even and pay large amounts of money for cosmetic surgery to enhance their beauty. I don't know if you've ever seen the program, Say Yes to the Dress. Anyone seen that program? Oh, it's all about brides that are going to get fitted out for their their wedding, and all that goes on in that, and, oh boy, it just blows your mind. Some of today's so-called beautiful people, you discover, have got really ugly aspects to their personalities. So, beauty is more than external. A Quaker woman was once asked what the secret of her lovely complexion was. Her reply was this, I use for my lips truth, for my voice prayer, for my eyes pity, for my hands charity, for the figure uprightness, for the heart love. That's a beauty that's more than skin deep, isn't it? That's a beauty that speaks of a quality of character that God produces within us by the Holy Spirit. And when the church displays that kind of beauty, then even This jaded, selfish, skeptical world is caused to stop and admire. The bride's loveliness, you see, is seen and admired when she is living in holiness. When God calls apart a people for Himself, it's so that they can be holy. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6 says, "'You are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God.'" Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 15, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. If God had been content to allow the Christian to be just like the worldly man or woman, there would have been no need for the cross. But he wants us to be different. As a people of faith who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a household of faith, as a community of faith, as those who gather in the name of Jesus because they belong to him and they belong to one another, he expects us To be different, different from the world, showing different values, uh, and expressing the loveliness of Jesus in everything that we say and do. We are to be set apart to belong to Jesus. The picture of the church that the Apostle John sees in Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8 is the picture of the bride whose life is unstained by this sinful world. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to Him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deed of God's holy Well, are we as individuals, are we as a church living in holiness, in reverence to God, seeking to reflect His beauty, the beauty of Jesus, We sang, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, in His church. Are we living in holiness? Does the beauty of Christlikeness radiate out from us into this community? These wonderful values that we see embodied in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Does the world out there see and experience that when they come into contact with us? Are we living in holiness? living in a way that's quite different from the way that the world lives out there. Holiness ought to characterize our conversation and our relationships. Holiness ought to be one of the motivating forces behind everything we are and everything we do as a local church. Does the beauty of holiness characterize the life of Airdrie Baptist Church, does it characterize my life today? We can't blame the church for not being the beautiful bride that she ought to be if we individually are part of the reason for her failure. There's a lovely old gospel hymn I'm sure many of you will remember it, More Holiness Give Me. And the verse, one verse of that hymn says, More purity give me, more strength to overcome, more freedom from earth stains, more longings for home more fit for the kingdom, more used would I be, more blessed and holy, more Savior like Thee. That should be our prayer, that we might be living in holiness, so that we might be the bride of Christ, fit and ready To welcome the bridegroom, Jesus, when he comes again. Living in holiness, but also living in harmony. Psalm 133, verse 1, these lovely familiar words. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Lord Jesus was concerned that amongst his followers there should be harmony and unity. Harmony is such a powerful witness in a world where there are so many discordant sounds, where there is so much sadness and selfishness. Even amongst the disciples, there was a need for harmony. Harmony you know everything wasn't all sweetness and light when the disciples were with Jesus sometimes there were moments when yeah the world crept in the attitudes of the world and Jesus had to deal with situations that arose where there was friction and tension such as when James and John wanted to to seize the 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 the, the places of privilege on either side of Jesus when he came in his kingdom. And all the rest of the disciples were miffed because they hadn't thought of that quick enough to get in. But if they had, they would have been there. And Jesus had to had to restore harmony amongst, amongst even the disciples. And he says in John 13 34, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, so you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And then the great high priestly prayer that comes later on in John in the 17th chapter, where Jesus prays for harmony and unity amongst his disciples. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, I am praying also for all who will ever believe in me. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Jesus prayed for you here at Airdrie Baptist Church. You were amongst those he prayed for, those who would come to believe in him, praying that you might live together in harmony. That uh, early Jerusalem church. What a wonderful uh, tribute it's paid in Acts chapter 2, to 47 all the believers met together, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I don't think God considers it worthwhile adding to the disciple bands that are in the midst of conflict and disagreement and disharmony. But if the household of faith is living in love, mutual acceptance, and harmony. God will add to their number. How can we see more folks coming to this church? Live together in harmony and unity with one another and with Jesus Your Lord. So, can people see harmony and unity in us? You know, in our world, friction is the enemy of efficiency. That's how they design cars to be aerodynamic, to reduce the potential of friction. Friction is the enemy of God's purpose to draw men and women in faith to Jesus Christ. People know when harmony is absent, and they withdraw when confronted with friction. Friction is evidence that Satan is having a good poke at the people of God. So live together in love, harmony, peace, and mutual acceptance. Living in holiness, living in harmony, but also living in hope. Ask a bride what hope motivates her, and that is that On her wedding day, she will be united with her bridegroom and will live with him in love and fellowship and happiness and joy for the rest of her life. And it's the same for us as the bride of Christ. What is the hope that we have? The hope that we have is that one day we will see Jesus, and Jesus will come again, and we will be united with him, we will be taken up to meet him in the air, and we will be part of that new heaven and new earth that he will inaugurate and we will serve Him and love Him forever. In the meantime, Timothy, sorry, Titus 2, verse 12 says, we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ will be revealed. That longing is expressed by the hymn writer, in the Advent light, O Savior, I'm living day by day, waiting, working, watching ever, knowing Thou art on the way, separated unto Jesus, loosed from all the world beside, blinded by the Advent glory. Hour by hour would I abide. Are we living in hope? Are we looking forward to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Are we eagerly waiting for Him to come so that He finds us waiting, watching, and working? Don't forget the working not just to sit back and expect him to, but working and then ready to welcome him on his return. The bride's loveliness, oh, that we would be a bride like that for Jesus. That's the kind of bride Jesus wants us to be. That's the kind of bride he's creating us to be by the work of the Spirit and Then, secondly, the bride's loyalty. I'll skip through this one a wee bit quicker than I got through the last one. Uh, Israel wasn't loyal to God the way she should have been. She was very pleased knowing that God loved her and God had chosen her. And it was important that God kept his part of the covenant, but as far as they were concerned, they felt, you know, well, I can just do what I want In Jeremiah 2.5, God complained, What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. And in Jeremiah 3.6, he said, Have you seen what fickle Israel has done like a wife who commits adultery Israel has worshipped other gods on every hill and under every green tree. She was not spiritually loyal to God, and we need to be loyal to God. Oh, I'm way past where I should be, sorry. We must be loyal to the Lord. Do we love Jesus, really, the way that we ought? If Jesus were to return to us, would He say, to us, as he did the church at Ephesus, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me. Do the works you did at first. Do we love Jesus personally the way we did when we were first saved? We actually ought to love him even more. The sad thing is sometimes we love him less, but we should love him even more has our love grown lukewarm. We need to be loyal to the Lord and love Him more and more with every passing day. And we need to be loyal to the gospel. Paul had some stern things to say to the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians eleven two. 2, he said this, I'm jealous for you. With the jealousy of God Himself... I promised you as a pure bride to one husband Christ but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. These believers in Corinth were so tolerant, they tolerated anything and everything and everyone. But we are to be loyal to the gospel and loyal to Jesus. We need to remain firmly committed, to the truths of the Word. And that's why, as a vacancy, as a search group looking for a new pastor, we are very keen to ensure that whoever comes here is wholeheartedly committed to the truth of the Gospel and the integrity of the Word of God. It's important, you see. It's important what people believe. There have been so many surveys that have revealed huge percentages of people training for ministry who reject the virgin birth and reject life after death and reject the resurrection bodily of Jesus and reject the personal return of Jesus Christ. We need to be loyal to the Word of God Loyal to the gospel, loyal to the truth. Because by being loyal to the gospel, we are being loyal to Jesus, the living word. The word of truth. Dr. Francis Schaefer said this, those of us who are children of God must realize the seriousness of modern apostasy. We must urge each other not to have any part of it. But at the same time, we must be the loving, true bride of the divine bridegroom in reality and in practice, day by day in the midst of the spiritual adultery of our day. Our call is first to be the bride faithful. But that's not the total call. The call is not only to be the bride faithful, but also to be the bride in love, the bride who is in love with her bridegroom, the bride in love with Jesus. May we be such a bride for Jesus here in Airdrie. May we be loveling, lo- lovely and loving for the sake of our bridegroom Jesus, for the sake of this community, for the sake of this needy world. The bride's loveliness, let's live in holiness Let's live in harmony. Let's live in hope. The bride's loyalty, let's be loyal to Jesus by loving Him more and more with every passing day, and loyal to the gospel, upholding His truth in our world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that you have separated us from the world to be a beautiful bride for our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. So by your Holy Spirit, be at work in our hearts and in our lives to make us the bride we should and need to be so that we might welcome our bridegroom when he comes and be ready in a moment in an instant in a twinkling of an eye to be taken up into his presence without shame and with great joy we pray in his name amen